Good morning. I really wish that I could dance into that song, but y'all, I can't dance. I mean, like, it's funny, that whole Yanni Laurel thing, Ricky and Pastor Paul just kept going, you don't, you don't hear it, do you? I'm like, I don't hear any of it, but the music is great, but I can't dance. But I love that uh, intro music. It's awesome. Well, good morning. We are so glad that you guys are here with us this morning. For those of you who may be visiting with us, my name is Stacy McLean, and my husband Chris and I get the privilege of serving here at Crosstown. I get to be a part of the teaching team, and I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. When you came in, you probably saw on your seat these fancy little cards that say E. Easter. And then if you flip them over on the back, they have all of the events that we have going on this week. Um, this is kind of a big week. This is known traditionally in the church as Holy Week. And so we've got um, some activities leading up to next week, which is Easter Sunday, my very favorite holiday in the whole world, which happens to be on my birthday. Yep, Easter and my birthday fall on the same next this year. Isn't that pretty awesome? So, um, But we're really excited about it, and we want you to take these cards. There's more at guest services if you um, want to grab some extra and hand them out to your friends, your coworkers, people you hang out with, because the truth is this is the one time of year they expect you to invite them to church. Seriously, if they know that you go to church, they know that you talk about church at all or the Bible or God or any of that, or you said, I'm praying for you, and you don't invite them to church, they might think you don't like them. They might think it's weird because people who don't come to church typically get invited for Easter Sunday. And so if you invite them, give them this card, let them know what's going on, I promise you we serve a God who will show up next Sunday and will meet them right where they are. So please take these cards. On the back, it tells you about some of the activities. So this Friday night, we invite you to participate with us in our Good Friday service at 7 o'clock. For those of you who may be wondering what is a Good Friday service, it is um, similar to Stations of the Cross. That's basically what we're doing. If you came from a Catholic background, um, that probably helps clear it up. If you came from my background, that just confused you even more. What is Stations of the Cross? But it's a time where we will be reading scripture and reflecting about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the very next morning, Saturday morning at 1030, we have thousands of eggs filled with candy that we are going to hide so please bring lots of children to find the eggs, um, lots and lots of eggs. And then next Sunday morning at 9.15 and 11 a.m., we will have our services on Easter Sunday. And we just encourage you, if you are a townie and you come on a regular basis, just come a few minutes early next week, get your kids checked in and grab a seat. Uh, we are expecting record crowds, lots of visitors and lots of people that will be here. So we encourage you guys, take those Easter cards, share them, invite someone. And because I told you to invite someone, just know I I've already invited someone, and I'm probably going to have to invite a few more people, and that's not my personality. I typically, I'm very outgoing. I love to talk to people, but inviting people to church is not necessarily my natural tendency. That's just not something I do, but as I was thinking about, oh, I'm going to tell everyone they have to invite someone, the Lord's like, so who have you invited? So I have invited some friends and will continue to invite a few more people. But today we are kicking off a brand new series. Today we're starting a new series called Uprising, and it's all about the kingdom of God. So we're going to be looking at, starting today over the next several weeks, this idea of uprising and the kingdom of God coming um, historically and personally. And so we're going to be looking at what does it mean that the kingdom of God has 
has come and is going to come. And what is all of that about? When Pastor Paul and I were talking about this series and what we were wanting to do and what we wanted to share in this series, I was like, oh yeah, kingdom of God, that's good. We got that. I know about the kingdom of God. And then as we began talking about it a little bit more, it just became more cloudy to me. And I thought, no, I actually don't really know because I, you hear it. So hopefully over the next several weeks, we will begin exploring what does it mean that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God has come historically? And then what does that mean to me and to you personally? And how does that change where we are today? So today we're going to be looking at that. When, the, when we look at what the Bible teaches about the kingdom of God, it's pretty... Um, talked about topic. Um, it's a pretty big subject, especially in the Gospels in the New Testament. So when you see the kingdom of God in the New Testament, it, that phrase, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, is used over 120 plus times just in the four Gospels, in the first four books of the New Testament. It's one of the things that Jesus talked about a lot. So that tells me that it's important. But it's also, when you see Jesus talking about it, you see him kind of doing this beautiful thing of revealing it and concealing it. He is talking to us about it, and then he sort of does this thing where mm, it's a little cloudy and I'm not sure I totally understand what he's saying about it. So um, hopefully over the next several weeks we'll be looking at that and seeing what it means. This balancing act causes us to ask questions. When we see and read about the kingdom of God in the New Testament, it really kind of leaves a lot of us asking questions like, okay, if you're telling me that the kingdom of God is here, you know, Jesus prays that prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that the kingdom of God is here. Then if you're like me, I'm saying, okay, if the kingdom of God is here, then why are there bad things that are happening? Why are people brokenhearted? Why is there disappointment? Why is there failure? Why is there despair? And so hopefully we're going to address that question by looking at three different things. We're going to be looking at what do we expect from the kingdom of God? What do we see happening? And what is really happening, whether we can see it or not? So today my objective is to kind of give you an overview of what do we expect from the kingdom of God? We're all going to have to ask ourselves, what are our expectations of the kingdom of God? What do we see happening in the kingdom of God? And then what is really happening even if we don't see it? So I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but have you ever seen something like with your eyes that you're trying to figure out what you're actually seeing? It just happened to me last week. A friend of mine, were, um, we went away for a girls' weekend, and we were flying back. And I didn't know it when we booked this trip, but my friend really doesn't love flying. It kind of freaks her out a little bit. I had no idea. She didn't tell me until we're, like, on the plane. And she said, you know, I really don't like flying at all. I was like, it's fine. We'll be fine. Of course, we had, like, the bumpiest flights we've ever had. I was like, I promise it's not like this. At one point, they told the flight attendants to take their jump seats. And she was like, a jump seat? What are you talking about? I was like, no, it's fine. We're just having turbulence. But anyway, so we get off the plane, and we're going from one terminal to the next. And the train that's taking us is a glass train, so you can see all the way through the train train and you're looking out over the tarmac and where the planes are and so we get on the train and I look straight out in front of us and I see this very large object 
completely consumed in black smoke. I mean, black smoke billowing up hundreds of feet in the air and huge flames lapping around it. And I thought, huh, that sort of looks like a plane on fire. So I looked at my friend and I was like, do you see that? And she said, uh, yeah, I see that. And I said, no one else on the train, mind you, is even reacting to this huge fire and black smoke that we see out off in the distance. And I was like, what is it? She said, I don't know. It looks like a plane on fire. And I was like, yeah, it sort of does look like a plane on fire. I don't know what it is, but truly, like somebody would be reacting, right? So we're watching it. And at one point, the train goes through. There's a hotel that's at the airport. And so the train goes through the hotel lobby. So we're, I mean, my eyes are locked onto this huge object that's pouring out black smoke and flames. We go through the lobby and come out on the other side. There's nothing. There's no evidence of black smoke anywhere in the sky. There is no, nothing on fire, no flames. I'm like, what in the world did we just see? So when we finally get to the end of the train, we look back and off in the distance, you see what appears to be a very large fuselage of a plane completely charred in black. No smoke, no one around it, no fire truck, no emergency vehicles. To this day, I have no idea what I saw. Honestly, I would think I'm losing my mind if my friend hadn't been with me. I'm like, you did see that, right? We did, we did see that, right? And poor thing, she's like, I hope it's not an omen for this plane we're about to get on. I was like, no, we're fine, totally fine, we're going to be fine. But sometimes we see things with our eyes and we can't explain them. We don't understand what we're seeing and we can't, we can't begin to understand so we're going to be looking at that, that idea this week, uh, today specifically. But this week, today, traditionally in church history, today is known as Palm Sunday. So if you grew up in a traditional church background, you probably knew that today is Palm Sunday. And it initiates, it starts this whole week called Holy Week. In church tradition, this is called Holy Week. And we would kick it off by celebrating Palm Sunday today. And then some churches do Monday, Thursday services. And some churches do Good Friday services. And then all culminate, you know, it all ends with the celebration on Easter Sunday of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to be looking at um, what happened on Palm Sunday. We're going to talk about it. We're going to read it. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 12. We're going to be in John chapter 12 today. And this idea of Palm Sunday and Jesus, it's the time when Jesus got on the donkey and rode into Jerusalem, That's and they laid palm branches down. We're going to be reading that in detail. And the reason that we're looking at it from John's perspective, it's actually recorded in all four of the Gospels. But the reason I picked to read it out of John's Gospel is because I really relate to John. So the Gospels will tell you the events. They recorded the events of what happened in the life of Jesus. And they, they kind of give you some background a little bit, but John does this great thing. He not only gives you the objective truth that was going on, like this is what happened. Sometimes he actually leaves out some of the details, but that's okay. We can get them in the other Gospels. Uh, but John also shares with us the subjective points that are going on, the subjective. And that when I say that, I just mean the experiences of the people who interacted. So John's gospel gives us a little bit of background about how the people were feeling, what they were thinking, and how they were interacting with the events that took place. And so um, 
in the verses we're going to be reading, there's a lot that's going on in these verses. And a lot of people will tell you that the triumphal entry was fulfilling prophecy. But it does even more than that. It does so much more than just fulfill prophecy. So listen as I read this, and then we'll break it down a little bit and talk about it. So John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So let's kind of break it down and look at what's really going on in this passage. In the beginning, it says the next day the large crowd had come to the feast. And so what what was historically going on in that moment was a lot of the Jews had come into Jerusalem, the big city, to celebrate the Passover feast. And Jews at this time celebrated Passover every single year because it was a reminder to them of the time that God delivered them out of slavery from Egypt and when he passed over their house and spared their children. And so they are celebrating this Passover. This was a time in Jerusalem where it was very crowded. Imagine Black Friday at the mall, right? That's what was going on. There were lots of people, lots of excitement, and this is the time when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. And so we see Jesus in this passage riding in on this donkey coming in. So he's up on the Mount of Olives, and he basically tells his disciples, go down, get me a donkey, and I'm going to ride in on it. But when we hear that, that's very different than the life Jesus lived. It's very interesting. Sometimes, at least for me growing up in a church background, I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's Palm Sunday. Jesus rode in on the donkey, and they threw the palms down, and they said, Hosanna, blessed be the king. And they quoted Zechariah 9, which is filling prophecy when it says, um, your king, behold, daughter of Zion, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That is specifically quoting an Old Testament prophecy. And that kind of gets lost on me, like, yeah, that's That's what happened. But if you really think about this, this event in history is radically different than the way Jesus lived his life and did his ministry prior to this moment in time. So prior to this, Jesus was not about pomp and circumstance. He did not necessarily want to be the center of attention. He just is. But he kept saying, shh, don't tell anyone. You know, he would heal people and say, don't, don't. Don't reveal who I am. It's that idea of revealing and concealing because his time had not yet come. As a matter of fact, in one of the other gospel stories, it talks about how Jesus kind of slipped away for fear that they were going to go ahead and force him to be king because people were seeing some of the things that Jesus was doing and hearing about the miracles and the signs. And so they were like, there's something about him. We want him to be king. We want him to deliver us. So 
he had been kind of hushing that before this point. But at this point in history, he's saying, now my time has come. The kingdom of God was being initiated in this moment historically. So in time and space, there was a real moment in time where the God of the universe had taken on flesh in Jesus Christ and rode into Jerusalem to signify the initiating of the kingdom of God. And that's what we see going on in this passage. Um, And as we are seeing the initiation of the kingdom of God, the people at this point, the crowd that had gathered, they were crying out, Hosanna, which literally means save us. They were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's the king of Israel. They had some expectations about what their king was going to look like. They thought they knew and they were excited about what the king was going to look like. And they really assumed that the king was going to come in and deliver them from the oppression of the Roman government. But right before this event happened, if you're reading this passage and you see, it says, it tells us why the crowd really came. They were coming because they heard about Jesus and they were coming because they were fulfilling this prophecy. But if you really want to know, this is why I love John's gospel, because I'm like, well, why, why was the crowd really there to see Jesus? And if you look to verse 18, it says, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. The sign they're referring to is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So right before all of this took place, Jesus had gone to Lazarus' house and had raised him from the dead. And people heard about that. Word traveled. Lazarus lived in a little town called Bethany, which is basically over here. And then the Mount of Olives is here, and Jerusalem is kind of down here. Like within a six or so, maybe three-mile radius, they're all right there together. So word traveled very fast. People heard that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. I don't know about you, but if I know somebody raised somebody from the dead and they're coming to town, I want to go see them. I am intrigued by this person. So that's why the crowds gathered, because they had heard of the sign that he had done. And look at what happened with the Pharisees' response in 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has come, has gone after him. And so the crowd gathered around because of the signs that they could see. They came because they had heard and they had heard about the signs that he had performed. I don't know what brought you here this morning, but is it because you want to see something miraculous? Did you come because of the signs? Because maybe someone told you what God has done in their life personally? Maybe God's miraculously healed someone you know? Maybe he's delivered them from a life of addiction or depression? And that sign has testified? I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here to see a sign, I want to push us a little bit further. We don't only want to see a sign, but we want to see who is the sign pointing to. See, that's the difference. The crowd came because of the sign he had done. And Jesus is going, oh no, that sign that I performed, that raising Lazarus from the dead, death has no hold. Death has no hold. They had no idea how true that statement would be. But Jesus is saying, no, I want to show you something even greater than those signs. I want to show you that those signs are pointing to the kingdom of God and what that means for us personally. And then the Pharisees are saying, 
I mean, everyone's gone after him. What in the world? See, they were mad because God had upstaged them through Jesus riding in on a donkey. The Pharisees were the religious ruling people at the time of the Jews. So you had the Roman government in control politically, and then you had the Jewish religious people who were in control of the temple and what was going on for the Jewish people. And the Pharisees were this group of people who did all the right things. They knew all the Bible verses. They were at the temple doing everything they were supposed to do by fulfilling the law. And they had expectations about what the king was going to look like. And their expectations were not that their king is going to come in looking like Jesus did. Because Jesus did things that the Pharisees said, you're not allowed to do. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. And they had rules that they had imposed upon themselves that you're not supposed to take but X amount of steps on the Sabbath. And so Jesus comes in and he's upstaging them basically. See, in their mind, they expected the king of Israel, the coming king that they were looking for, they expected him to come in, establish his kingdom literally in the city of Jerusalem and that they would get to be appointed to his cabinet basically. It'd be like becoming good friends with someone who's running for president of the United States in the hopes that when he gets the presidency, he puts you in charge of something. That's what the Pharisees were expecting, and that is not what Jesus was doing. He was taking their expectations and throwing them out the window. And so just like they had to realize, we have to realize that the kingdom of God does not always come in the way we expect it. See, we have certain expectations about what the kingdom of God is going to look like in our lives. I mean, it's true. Like, this was a harsh reality that hit me this week because I was like, no, I know it's not all roses and unicorns and happy times. No, but there are still, if I'm honest with myself, expectations about the kingdom of God and what it's supposed to look like in my life. And it was challenged this week of, do I really believe that it's, it's beyond my expectations, and it's going to come and look differently than what I expect. You know, and it can make us feel kind of like, man, I'm a terrible person because I have expectations, and they aren't met, and I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what's going on. And if you're here this morning, and you're like that, like, I just don't understand, God. I, I, I know you love me. I know you're a good God, but there are events that have occurred in my life there's despair there's brokenness there's heartache there's pain so I don't understand I don't understand your kingdom God if you're there this morning you're not alone listen to what um, John records for us in John 12 16 he says his disciples these are the people that lived with Jesus for three years and watched him minister these are the guys who were right beside Jesus day in and day out right next to him and it says his disciples did not understand these things at first but when Jesus was glorified that just means when he died and rose again and ascended into heaven when he was glorified then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him hindsight is 2020 isn't it See, it's easy for us to sit here today, 2,000 years later, knowing all that we know, having the complete canon of Scripture in our hands and going, how'd they miss it? It was Palm Sunday. He was initiating the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is this already, but not yet, this beautiful dance between revealing and concealing. And we have this promise and we get to have a glimpse of it here, but it's going to be even greater when he comes back and it's completed, it's fulfilled. Yeah, it's easy for us to look at that, but they didn't understand it because their perspective was in it. 
See, your perspective of your life circumstances, my perspective of my life circumstances, I'm in it. I'm not looking back necessarily. And that's hard for us to understand. But I have hope for you today because there is living hope in Jesus Christ. And so it's okay if you don't understand the events that are playing out before you. I don't understand the events that are playing out before me. But what I do know is the power of the kingdom of God. And hopefully we will look into more about that today. In another gospel account, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, those religious ruling people at the time. And they're drilling him because they know there's something about him, but they don't quite understand it because it doesn't meet their expectations. And so they're like, okay, you keep talking about this idea of the kingdom of God. Well, how, what are the signs? How do we know? When is the kingdom of God going to be here? And how do we know it's here? And Jesus' response to them in Luke 17, 20, he says, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So he's telling them, you're not going to be able to observe it the way that you think you want to observe it. It goes back to what what. Do we expect? What do we see? And what is really happening? And as I started thinking about this and trying to think of an illustration to explain what the kingdom of God is like, the best movie of all times popped in my head. You can tell that Pastor Paul has had an influence on me because when I'm thinking of illustrations, I think of movie clips. And so I'm about to show you a movie clip from one of the best movies ever, Wonder Woman really is a great movie. Um, and so in this clip, we're going to be seeing Wonder Woman. She's a, a grown woman at this point, but she's been living on this island her whole life, and all she knows is the island where she lives. And when she stands on the cliff and looks out, all she sees is ocean and beautiful blue skies. And beyond that, she sees nothing. But there's a whole world going on outside of her island that she's heard of, but she hasn't seen. And then the outside world gets a glimpse of what's going on in her island and I think it really demonstrates what we see in this beautiful dance between revealing and concealing the kingdom of God so let's take a look
How many of us have been in a place where we've asked, where did this fog come from? Where did this dark cloud roll in? Where did this despair? It sometimes all of a sudden rolls in and we, it just hits us blindsided and we don't even know it. But just like you saw in the movie clip, he leaned in and we need to be leaning into the kingdom of God in those moments where despair and brokenness and hurt and pain roll into our lives. We need to be leaning into the kingdom of God because the truth is the kingdom of God is there. It is here in our midst. It is with us. But sometimes because of the fog, we can't perceive the kingdom of God. Sometimes we don't understand how the kingdom of God can be right in front of us. But we can't see it because the fog and despair of life have rolled in. But God wants to offer hope to every single one of us today. And so if you are here and the despair of life, the brokenness, the regrets of life, the failures, depression, any of that has rolled into your life, I'm here to offer you hope from God today that we can lean into the kingdom of God, we can break through, and we can see his kingdom come on earth as it already is established in heaven. But there is this already but not yet idea of the kingdom of God. There is this balance where we see it initiated historically, but then we have to choose personally if we're going to encounter the kingdom of God, if we're going to receive and enter into and experience the kingdom of God. So just like we learned in this clip that the kingdom of God has this idea of being in the midst of the fog and darkness, we have to understand that we have to allow the kingdom of God to transcend our dreams and our desires. The kingdom of God must transcend our dreams and our desires. See, I think um, we all have certain dreams and desires for our life, for our children, for our families, for our friends, for our career choices. We have these dreams and desires. Even if they look godly, even if they look good, even if they look pleasing, sometimes I have to understand that the kingdom of God transcends my desire and my dream. I have to understand that it is bigger than what my little finite mind can imagine. And that's what we're going to be looking at. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you get to that point where you're like, okay, I, there's a lot of darkness, and I want the kingdom of God. I want that beautiful island. I want that light. I want someone to swoop in and save me. How do we get there? Well, the way we get there is we have to be willing to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ through the dying of ourself and the uprising of Christ in our life. And that I know that sounds real church language, but it really is true that we have to be willing to allow the dreams and desires to die so that the dreams and desires of Christ for us can, up, can rise up in our life. So there can be an uprising in Christ of Christ in our lives. And we do that through entering a personal relationship with him. And I think a lot of us have made that. We've done that. We've had that conversation. But I think some of us are sort of like the guy we're about to read about where we've been doing the right things. We read our Bible. We go to church on Sunday. We pay our tithes. You know, we, we try to live a good life. But we've never come to that moment where we've had that conversation where we have acknowledged, okay, God, I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to allow Christ to rise up in me. 
I want to take a look at this story, this dialogue, this conversation that Jesus has with this man. And in this story, it's John chapter 3 is where we're going to be looking at it. And in this story, we see this man who is a Pharisee. So remember, he's one of the religious rulers at the time, well-respected. They had a lot of power, a lot of authority. Everyone esteemed them. Um, So he had good position, good place. And as he is seeing these things going on, he's still thinking, I don't fully understand. Something isn't making sense to me. And so he's going to go to Jesus and talk to him. I want you to hear the dialogue. And when I'm reading this, I'm a visual person. So when I'm reading this, I want you to picture these two people standing next to each other, talking to each other. Jesus is going to begin introducing some language that once I read it, if you grew up in a Southern church background like I did, it's going to be language that's immediately going to put images and thoughts in your head. And I want to challenge you to move beyond that because in this conversation, when Jesus starts using some of these terms and some of these words, they're words that are confusing and hard to understand. It's like, for example, if you have teenagers, they have a whole nother language of texting that I don't understand. And so my daughter will say things to me in text language or use words that I'm like, what are you talking about? I've never heard that word in my life. I don't understand what it means. It doesn't make sense to me. So I kind of want you to throw away some of the things that you may bring to the table when you hear this language um, and just really hear it as if these two men are talking for the first time and they're hearing and, and Nicodemus is the guy who's going to be talking to Jesus. Nicodemus is hearing this and processing this. And I can just see Jesus staring at Nicodemus, watching his face, listen to this conversation. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know, talking about the Pharisees, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus is like, okay, my eyes are telling me that I'm seeing you do something that can only be from God. So I'm coming to you because I know that you must be from God. And Jesus answers him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, hear that brand new like you've never heard it before, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, Nicodemus is like, born again? He's thinking, literally, you want me to, like, be born again? And Jesus, I can imagine Jesus just looking at Nicodemus thinking, I know, you don't really understand, so let me say it to you this way. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he's like, Nicodemus, listen, let me say it this way. And I can just imagine Nicodemus's face going, what is he saying? Like, huh? I don't understand. And Jesus is like, he's reading Nicodemus's language, you know, his body language. And, and Jesus says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. See, Jesus, Nicodemus heard, you must be born again, and he's stuck right there. And Jesus is like, all right, let me try to tell it to you this way. And Nicodemus is all he's going is, born again, born again. So Jesus is like, okay, listen, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it 
from where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? See, Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, explaining to him that it is only through this new birth, this idea of being born again. But the thing about Nicodemus that I love so much, Nicodemus was willing to ask the questions. Nicodemus was willing to go and talk to Jesus and ask the questions. Are you willing to take your questions to Jesus? Or do you think, he can't handle my questions I'll be embarrassed if he knows that I'm really angry at him about this or that I don't understand this or that this doesn't make sense or that my heart is broken over here. I want to encourage you, take your questions to him. Not only can he answer them, he already knows your questions. And so until you take your questions to him, you're not giving him opportunity to tell you his heart. So be willing to take your questions. There is no question you can have for him that is going to shock him because he already knows the questions that you have. He knows the questions I'm going to have next week before I've even formed them in my mind. He knows what I'm going to ask. And he's ready and willing with an answer. And he's not beating Nicodemus up. He's not saying, come on, dude, get this. He's like, I know. Don't marvel. Let me explain to you. And Nicodemus is still sitting there going, how can this be? But Nicodemus had to be willing to allow the rules and regulations that had been ruling his life, he had, to be, he had to be ready to surrender them to something that he didn't fully understand. Something that he was still kind of like, what? I see these signs. I see this. You must be from God, but I don't fully understand it. See, at the time, the Jews were all looking for a Messiah. They were looking for this coming king, but Jesus did not come in the way that they thought. They had a perception or an idea about what this king was going to look like. Nicodemus had a preconceived notion, just like we have a preconceived notion about things. He had this. But God got to choose how to reveal the coming king. I love this quote by John Piper. It says, God decided that the kingdom of God would be most gloriously revealed in a crucified and risen king. See, we decide how we want the kingdom of God revealed in our life. We try to come up with what it's going to look like. But God decided the most glorious way to reveal the kingdom of God was through a crucified and risen Jesus. That is not how I would have chosen to do it. Why? I don't know. The Lord is bigger, better, and smarter than I am, and I'm glad I'm not in control. But I have to ask yourself, and this is what God asked me this week personally, Am I willing to allow God to determine the most glorious way to reveal his kingdom to me personally? See, I have an idea about how I want God to reveal his kingdom to me. I have thoughts about how I want him to reveal his kingdom in my life. But am I willing to die to myself and allow him to reveal it in the most glorious way? Even if that is something like the risen, the crucified and risen Savior, even if that's something that has to be crucified in my life, to be brought to new life again. The truth is the kingdom of God comes through the dying and uprising of Christ historically and personally. See, the 
there was a historical event that occurred that we celebrate today on Palm Sunday of the initiating of the kingdom of God. It has come historically, but it also has to come for us personally. There was something that happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of his death and resurrection, we have been given the opportunity to become sons and daughters of the living God. That's what scripture says to us. We have to decide if that is something we want to enter into personally. It has happened. The kingdom of God is here, and there is nothing, there is nothing, there is no event that can occur that will prevent the kingdom of God. Nothing was going to stop Jesus from getting on that donkey and riding into Jerusalem on that day to initiate the kingdom of God. It is here, and it lasts forever. But we have to decide, do we want it personally? See, Jesus was telling Nicodemus, hey, listen, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. It's so hard for us to understand that language. And it's actually kind of confusing because in the original Greek, it says born again or born from above. If you're like me, you probably hear born again, and I immediately think, pray the prayer, you know, walk down the aisle. I grew up in a very traditional church background, and I'm grateful for it. But I've had to unlearn some words that were taught to me by the world, not by what Scripture said, by what Jesus said. And when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Jesus is literally saying, you must be born from above. For my kingdom that transcends every dream and desire you have, you have to be willing to allow that birth to take place in your life. It's not natural. It's not something that we would originally think. And so Jesus is saying, I don't want you to just pray a prayer of salvation. I'm not just coming to save you from hell. I am coming to bring the kingdom of God into your life so that when you're in hell, the kingdom of God will prevail above the hell that you're sitting through on this earth. Because he knew that we were going to walk through difficult times. He knew we were going to be challenged. And he is saying, I want to bring you life from above. I want to bring you life that transcends all of your understanding of what you see in front of you. And Nicodemus had to ask the question, how can this be? How can this be? Nicodemus was left with asking a question, how can all of this be? And the way we answer that question, we have to ask that question today. We may see despair and brokenness and heartache or just, you know, minor disappointments in our life. Maybe you're not in a time where everything is terrible in front of you. Maybe you're just walking through life and, you know, by this time in your life, you thought that things were going to be a little bit more fun, a little bit more exciting, a little bit less hectic. And maybe you're just sitting here disappointed. And we have to ask ourselves, how can all of this be? How can the kingdom of God be in our midst? And We hear again through the Apostle Paul, he's calling us to action. See, Jesus responded to Nicodemus. He looked in Nicodemus' face and he said, don't marvel at this. This is what has to be. You see the wind going here and there and you don't know where it came from? But this is how the kingdom comes. It comes through the dying of yourself and allowing Christ to be raised up. And you have to enter that personally. And Nicodemus had to respond in action. God is calling us to action today. And when we look at the Apostle Paul writing to believers, to people who had already made that decision, people who had already said, yes, I want this, 
The Apostle Paul is encouraging them because they are living in the in-between, the already and not yet of the kingdom of God, that beautiful dance. That's where we find ourselves today. So if you're wondering why Palm Sunday, what it means and what it matters, it's because we get to look back on the initiation of the kingdom of God and we get to look forward to the completion and the fulfillment that is yet to come and we're stuck right in the middle. And if we have given our life to Christ and it's no longer our life, the Apostle Paul tells us what we need to do. Listen as I read in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If you have entered into this and you have been raised with Christ, then when the fog of life rolls in, when the despair of life rolls in, then seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. When those things happen that we don't understand, we have to set our eyes on the things above, on that kingdom of God. There's fog, there's darkness. Lean in, look up from above because his kingdom transcends everything that we see before us, what our expectations are, what we're seeing, and he has hope to offer us what really is happening in the unseen. He goes on to say, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This already and not yet. It is your life is hidden in Christ, in God. Your life is hidden there. Sometimes we don't even see it. We don't understand. And we're not supposed to always get a clear picture of it. But our hope lies in Christ and the glory that is to come one day. And in the in-between, what are we to do? Put our mind on the things above. Seek those things above. And I know that's not easy. And so in those moments of darkness for me personally, I hold on to what I know is true. I cling to what I know is true. And I know that God loves me. And I know that God sent his son Jesus to bear the weight of my sin and to be murdered on a cross. And he rose him up three days later. And because of that, I have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And that's better than any darkness that I face. See, a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this, we pray prayers of comfort. We pray prayers where we say, you know, God, give me peace. But what I really mean when I say God, give me peace is I really want ease. I don't just want peace, God. I want ease. I want to be protected. I want to be comfortable. I want my family protected. I want everything to go right. I want everyone to be healthy. I want to be able to pay my bills. I don't want a flat tire. But you know what? The kingdom of God is not a kingdom of ease. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of peace and salvation. It's a kingdom of peace and salvation. And the only way that peace comes in so often is in the middle of pain and in the middle of heartache. See, when everything is good and there are no issues and I've got no problems in my life and life's kind of just rolling around, along, it's not like I'm really desperate for the peace of God because the peace and ease of my life is all I need right then. It's in those moments 
when my world collapses in front of me. It's in those moments of complete despair and agony that I need the peace of God and the kingdom of God offers me that kind of peace. Scripture tells us peace comes in like a rushing river because when you have hurt and heartache and despair in your life and you want the peace of God, his peace will flow like a river. It will rush in over the fog, over the heartache, over the pain, over the despair. That's what the peace of God looks like. That's what the kingdom of God is to offer us. But we've mistranslated that and thought it's a kingdom of ease. He never said it was going to be easy, but he did say, my peace I leave with you, not like the world gives to you. My peace I leave with you, and it won't be taken away. So in those moments when it's difficult, Be reminded that the kingdom of God is peace and salvation. And it is a kingdom that has been established and it will reign forever. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 103, and I love this because if you go do a word study on the kingdom of God, you're not going to find that phrase in the Old Testament. But you see the imagery of his kingdom and you see the promise of his kingdom all throughout the Old Testament. Because remember, it got initiated that beautiful day when Jesus rode in on that donkey. That was the initiation of it coming down to earth. But it has been there. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And so, just like Nicodemus God wants to have a conversation with you today. God wants to have a conversation with me today. God wants us to talk to him today. And he wants to remind us his kingdom has come historically. And now he wants you to interact personally with him. So we're about to move in this moment of expressions. This is kind of the time where we get to respond to what God's been saying to us. God has been speaking to us this morning through the interactions of his people. He's been speaking to us this morning through um, conversations, through worship, through his word. And so now he's asking you, how are you going to respond? And if you're sitting there saying, how can this be? Take it to him this morning. Some of us have um, thoughts, desires, pains, anguish that we're holding on to. And he said, bring them to me. And so as we move into this moment and we are um, in this next time of worship, maybe for you today, this is a time where you have never personally said, yes, Lord, I'm going to die to self and allow Jesus Christ to raise up to be raised up in my life. Maybe you've attended church your whole life, but you've never had that personal conversation with him. Don't be embarrassed about that anymore. Step out today. We've got pastors and elders that are willing to pray with you. Or maybe today you have this dream and desire that you have been holding on to so tightly, and he is saying, you got to give it up. Nail it to the cross and leave it at the cross with Jesus. Trade it in because the dream and the desire that God has for your life is far bigger and greater than any dream you have. I promise you that. His dreams for us, his desires for us are bigger than any dream or desire we can have for ourselves. Or maybe today you just want to stay right where you are and you want to worship him and you want to praise him because he is king of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am. And when the great I am, shows up, nothing can stand against it. Father, we love you so much and we come into this moment with our hearts bare before you. Father, we are laying ourselves before you and we are asking how can all of this be? How does it all make sense? Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us 
through your son Jesus Christ and through your word that your kingdom is a kingdom that will never be shaken that your kingdom is a kingdom that is here in our midst and so father move us beyond our expectations move us beyond what we see and reveal to us what is really happening in that unseen thank you that you are a God who can do abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.